This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. friends. Welcome to Back to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women and addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here at Worth Recovery, the Worth Recovery podcast. And I'm a sex addict and a food addict. And my sobriety date is December 2nd of 2012. And today is December 2nd of 2016. So that makes today my four-year sobriety anniversary, which is totally crazy. I'm sitting here today staring out my window, incredibly grateful, and wondering a little bit to myself, how in the world did I get here? How in the world does anyone make it to four years of sobriety? I can tell you early on, I never, ever thought I would make it here. And so this is what I want to talk today about a little bit in episode 76, Four Years Sober. That's our episode today, episode 76, Four Years Sober. Now, real quick, before we jump in, of course, I have some announcements because we have a wonderful event coming up in January, January 21st, 2017, right here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We have engaged in the struggle, and my life right now is a struggle, and so I'm excited about our upcoming event, Engaged in the Struggle. Again, January 21st, 2017, just about five, six weeks away. Super, super excited about that. We have three amazing speakers, Candice Christiansen, Jackie Pack, and Lou Duke, all CSAT therapists here to talk to us women and others that attend, because there's more than just women registered, about addiction, about trauma, about boundaries, and about shame resilience. I'm incredibly excited for this whole thing. So get your tickets now. Get registered. I'm excited about the number of women we have coming so far. Early bird pricing is available for a few more weeks until December 21st. So make sure you get on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. Get all the information there and get registered. I would love to see as many of you there as possible. And then also, of course, my traditional shout out to my Worth Warriors. You ladies continue to just simply amaze me. So thank you so much for your time, for your money, in putting forth a little bit of money every month in order to keep this podcast free for all of the women out there who are looking for help in addiction or looking for help in recovery, whatever it is that you're recovering from. I'm finding that more and more women without addictions are listening to this podcast and reaching out and find great value. And I'm so humbled by that. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to provide my experiences in a way that's accessible for all of the women out there. You Worth Warriors, you make that possible. So thank you so much. You can become a Worth Warrior. If you're listening to this, if you have an addiction or not, if you're even a man and you want to be a Worth Warrior, someone who fights for the worth of recovery for all of those people out there, women, men, doesn't matter, join the Worth Warriors. You can get on the website and learn about it. 
With as little as $4 a month, you can become a Worth Warrior. You get special perks and discounts, um, and your name gets on the website, and it's awesome. So do it. Again, all that information can be found on the website, Worth Recovery, W-O-R-T-H-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. Okay, four years sober. So today, four years sober, I'm kind of floored about it. Now, I want to talk a little bit today about how anybody does that. The big book tells us, the big book of AA tells us that we are suffering from an illness, that addiction is an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That comes from the first paragraph of the chapter, We Agnostics, in the AA big book. I need you to know today on my four-year sobriety anniversary that this has been my experience. I can do nothing of myself. It is only the spiritual experiences I have had in recovery that keep me sober. It is only my reliance on God, on my higher power, that has gotten me anywhere in recovery. Anywhere. And I mean that. From the very beginning of my recovery journey, God has led me every single step of the way. He has led me to the right places, to the right people, to the right groups. He has spoken peace to my heart and my mind, and he has given me strength, taken memories and images from my mind, helped me sleep, and given me hope. Today, on my four-year sobriety anniversary, I testify that only a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, the big book also calls it, has helped me to conquer this addiction on a daily basis. I also need you to know that I believe that spiritual experiences come in many, many, many forms. As many forms as there are people on the planet, and then some. In fact, I believe spiritual experiences are different for every single person. What I do know is something that my mother taught me. And she said, there is a price to be paid to know God and to learn to communicate with him. That has always struck with me. There is a price to be paid. I think we all pay that price differently in our own ways. Spiritual experiences are there for the taking for each of us, but we have to pay the price to experience them. Today, I want to tell you a little bit about my price, about my own spiritual awakening. About my own spiritual experiences, in the hopes that my stories might help you find your own spiritual experiences and awakening. One of my favorite things about the AA and the big book is the fact that they encourage, even demand really, that you find a power greater than yourself, a higher power of your own understanding. Collectively, they call this higher power God and refer to it as God, but it is very clear that you must define that God for yourself. You must figure out what that higher power is how it manifests in your life, and figure it out for you. I love that it doesn't say a God of your parents' understanding, a God of your religion's understanding. It doesn't say a higher power from the Bible or the same God your sponsor believes in. It says a God of your own understanding. I grew up believing in God. Going to church every Sunday, reading scriptures and praying was a big part of my life. I learned that God loved us, that I needed to try and be like Jesus, 
that the Holy Spirit would communicate God's will to me. I believed God to be like a father, a heavenly father that loved me, that knew my name, and that it was a commandment from him to be grateful and to be happy. What I didn't understand until I began recovery was that all of those things I believed in my head or understood cognitively were not even close to my actual experiences with God in my life. Though I had some significant spiritual experiences throughout my childhood and my teenage years, they were not enough to outweigh my daily interactions with God, with religion, or with the people around me. There was this massive cognitive dissonance going on for me around this topic of who God was, how he manifested in my life, and what I needed to do about that. I want to share with you today a few of the experiences I had in recovery that helped me to figure this out. Most of you know the story of how I started recovery. Quick recap if you don't. It was the first Sunday in March of 2011. I had spent the last three days with Steve, a man I had acted out with on and off for seven years. Recently, we had been discussing making our relationship permanent and had discussed marriage, kids, family, relocation, the whole nine yards. That was until he told me that he was already married and had been married the entire time we had known each other. As I lay in bed with him that morning, I knew it was over. This wasn't just two single people acting out together anymore. I was having an affair. I got up, I got dressed, and I drove Steve to the airport. I knew in my heart I would never see him again. I knew that this was it. I hugged him, kissed him, and left him at the airport promising that we would talk soon. As I drove home, the pain overwhelmed me. I pulled off to the side of the road because I was crying so hard, and I promised myself on the side of the 405 freeway in Renton, Washington, that I would do whatever it took to change my life. I made it home, and I crawled into bed. A few hours later, the phone rang. It was my dad calling to tell me that they had discovered a large brain tumor in his head. He would be tested the next day for cancer. Somehow, I knew in my heart that this was it. My dad was going to die, and for whatever reason, I just knew in my soul that it would be soon. Now, had these events not happened on the same day, at the same time, I don't know if I would have kept the promise I made to myself to get help. But because they did happen at the same time, on the same day, I made the decision to choose bottom, and I made the decision to get help. When I began to search for that help, I found a therapist I thought I wanted to see, at that time in my life, I really didn't have a name for what was wrong, what was going on. It just felt overwhelming and it felt like everything was wrong in my life. I had researched many therapists and found this woman I was ready to see. I got on her website again that morning to find the number. In the top right hand corner, there was a button. I can still see it in my head that clearly said our team. I clicked on it and listed at the top of the page was Dr. Aaron Glade. I read his bio, and it said that he specialized in sex addiction. At that moment, a tingly feeling went through my whole body. That was it. I knew somehow in my heart of hearts, in the very core of who I was, that I had a sex addiction. That that was what was wrong with me. I count that the experience as the beginning of my spiritual awakening. There was a power bigger than me telling me, this is it, Amy. Ding, 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 ding. You have a sex addiction. 
I called him that very minute. I poured out my soul into his voicemail and I saw him for an appointment, I think the next day, at least within that week. My second experience came sitting in his office that first day. I walked in and sat down and basically just spilled my life. There wasn't any awkwardness or any unease. It didn't feel uncomfortable or difficult. As he started telling me about sex addiction, I had that same experience. A power bigger than myself confirming in my whole body that this was it. That this was what I needed. I felt these words more than heard them. But I felt them in my soul. Do everything this man asks. I promised myself I would do everything he asks, when he asks, and not drag my feet about anything. I was desperate, and a power bigger than me told me that this would work. And I did. I did everything he asked, when he asked, including going to my first 12-step meeting just a few days later. And it stuck. It worked. That was when I began to experience a power greater than myself. I began to have my own spiritual experiences with God. Experiences that were mine and mine alone. The next one came a few months later. My sponsor was asking me to pray. I had always prayed. I prayed my whole life. I believed in a God that commanded me to pray, that demanded, really, that I pray. And I believed that he listened, that he answered, and that he sent help. I had experienced that early on in my life. However, I also believed that listening, answering, sending help was contingent upon me being worthy, that those were blessings for the worthy. The problem was, in addiction, I never felt worthy. I never felt worthy of anything. Before and during my early recovery, my prayers were petitions to God in an attempt to be worthy. I would say things like, I'm evil, I'm sorry, I did this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, I'm so stupid. I know I said I'd never do that again, but I did it, I'm so sorry, and so on, and so on, and so on. I hated praying because I felt so terrible about what I was doing and who I was. I felt I had disappointed God and hadn't kept any of the promises or commitments that I had made to him to stop acting out. That was how I was experiencing God, as this power withholding love, help, and answers, because I wasn't worthy. Because I had passed the line of no return, because no matter what I did now, I could never make up for what I had done before. I was struggling to believe that God would help me stay sober. I thought if I could do it on my own, then God might start believing in me again and helping me. So I was praying like my sponsor asked me to do, but I wasn't surrendering and I wasn't asking for help. I was just listing all the things that I had done wrong, saying I was sorry and begging for forgiveness. It was discouraging to say the least. I sat in a meeting one early Friday morning, having just relapsed a couple days before. I was discouraged and I was struggling. This was just too hard for me to do. The sharing portion of the meeting began and a gentleman shared and told a story that went something like this. (laughs) It had happened to him a few years earlier. His coworker had shared an experience at work about his weekend. Apparently this man ran some kind of lawn care company on the side or something. His son was supposed to fertilize a couple of lawns on Saturday morning. He was using one of those like little pellet type fertilizers that you put in one of those 
kind of distributing machines, right? And you roll the crank and it spreads it out all over the grass. So he's using one of those. He had got done with the first lawn and was about to start the second lawn when he realized that this was not fertilizer that he had been distributing on these lawns. In fact, it was grass killer. It was a pellet that was supposed to be used like in the flower beds to kill the grass. And he had just distributed it over the entire front yard of this house. This boy called his dad. Oh my gosh, dad. I don't know. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh no, I can't even believe it. He's having this like panic moment. And he says to his dad, I don't know what to do. Help me. I don't know what to do. The man coached his son through what to do calmed him down and how to fix the problem. They worked out a solution and the boy kept calling to report what he was doing, what he had done, and his dad would coach him on the next step. It was, I'm sure that the story had some kind of funny conclusion, I'm sure. The man that was sharing at the meeting though said this, and this is what really struck me. He said, what struck me most about this story was that the boy called his dad and said, oh no, what do I do now? He talked about how if that was him, he would have hid it from his dad and never told him about what had happened. He would have denied the whole thing if it had ever come up again. Then he talked about how that had impacted his relationship with God. He talked about how he had worked to change his relationship with God to be more of like this father and son, more of kind of a coach type situation. He talked about how in his early recovery, he viewed God as a punisher, one that was just waiting to punish him and that he didn't want to pray. It was like he was speaking to my soul, that he didn't want to pray and that he was scared and felt unworthy. And that this experience and hearing this story about his coworker and his relationship with his son helped him to view God to be more of a coach. One that would he would take his problems to and that God would help him figure out a solution. He said more. I'm sure he said more. But I had one of those experiences like I did when I sat in Dr. Glade's office. My body started tingling and I felt the words. I felt them in my soul. I want to help you. That night and ever since that day, prayer is a different experience for me. That night particularly... I remember I knelt at the side of my bed, desperate. It had been a really rough day at work and with my family, and I wanted nothing more than to act out online, in fantasy, in person. It didn't matter. I just wanted some sort of escape, some sort of high. I remember getting on my knees that night and saying, I know if I get into bed and lay down, I'm going to act out. But I am so tired and I have so much to do tomorrow. I need to get some sleep. Will you please help me? And that same feeling that I had experienced that morning in that meeting came back. Kind of that tingling sensation. And I felt the words, I got this, Amy. Maybe that seems strange that God would use those words. But I will never forget them. I got this, Amy. I got into bed and I don't remember anything but waking up the next morning feeling incredibly refreshed and incredibly hopeful. I learned that night that God wanted to help, even if I wasn't worthy in the ways I thought I had to be. I learned that night that he would help me, not that he just wanted to help, but that he would help. 
He would help me. I began that night changing the way that I prayed to him. I began viewing him more as a coach, a good coach who knows all of my strengths and all of my weaknesses. He knows how to help me utilize both to help me make progress in life. I tried to talk to God like I would talk to a coach. I tried to be more honest and more real. I asked for help more often. I asked for specific help. As I tried this over and over again, I learned another great lesson about my higher power. The more specific I am in what I ask for, the more likely I am to receive an answer. This has helped me in so many ways and really contributed to my spiritual experiences and my spiritual awakening. I learned to express to my higher power what I really needed, what specifically I needed. Rather than just help me stay sober today, it was help me not look at men as lust objects. Help me go to sleep quickly. Please take these images from my mind so I no longer replay them. The more specific I got, the more my higher power helped me. I started in my recovery to amass these spiritual experiences and an understanding about God, about my higher power. It wasn't what I had been taught as a youth. I could be unworthy and still ask for help and receive it. I didn't have to outline every single wrong every single time I prayed. God wasn't this authority figure watching and waiting for me to make mistakes. As more and more pleas for help were answered, my relationship with my higher power really, really began to change. I was finding a God of my own understanding. Another significant experience for me came just after my dad passed away. I was angry with God that my dad had to die. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted him to get better so that we could work out our relationship. I was pretty selfish about it, but that wasn't the case. About a month after his death, as I was working through some paperwork with my mom, I had a huge spiritual experience, a huge realization. My dad died just a week, seven days after his 63rd birthday. This gave my mom access to my dad's full death benefit from his pension. Had he died before his birthday, my mom would have only received less than a half of that death benefit. He also died two days before the end of the year. That meant that there was no new annual deductibles to be met on any of his health care. This saved us, his children, thousands of dollars and provided thousands more for my mom as his survivor. I was overcome with gratitude. My parents weren't the greatest with their money. I didn't know that there was this magic nine-day window for my dad to die that would save us thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, and provide for my mom in such a way that would allow her to be independent. Mercifully, though, my higher power knew. God knew. God knew the details of my life that I wasn't even aware of. There was a much bigger picture here that I couldn't even begin to comprehend or see. But there is a higher power who knows, who sees, who is aware. Even among my grief and suffering, my higher power was working things out to my benefit and to the benefit of my family. Even when I was mad and angry at him, he was merciful. My heart was filled with gratitude. Gratitude became my mantra for a long time. I still do daily gratitude journal. 
Just a few months later, though, after this experience, I read the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom for the first time. I've shared examples from this book before, but let me share one more. Corey Ten Boom was living in Holland during the Nazi Holocaust of World War II. She and her family saved countless Jews from helping the... She and her family saved countless Jews, helping them escape from Germany into other areas. For her work, she was beaten and imprisoned in Germany for a time. When she and her sister, Betsy, first arrived at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, Corey was more than discouraged. The new sleeping quarters were dirtier than they had ever seen. There was no individual beds, but big platforms with straw on them where five or six women would cram at night to sleep. The platforms were stacked three high, with barely two feet between them. As nausea swept over them, Corey noticed something pinched her leg. The entire room was swarming with fleas. As Corey laments the circumstances, she cries out to her sister, Betsy, How can we live in such a place? Betsy reminds her of the passage they read in the Bible that very morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14-18. Quote, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. From The Hiding Place, the book, Corey writes, quote, the fleas, this was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy quotes. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood there between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Close quote. Well, we learned that Betsy wasn't wrong. Later in the book, we learn that because of the fleas, no guards would ever enter their barracks. This saved them and the women in their building from additional beatings, mistreatments, rapes. It also provided for them a safe place where they could pray and read together. The fleas provided them protection. I learned through this experience with my dad and from reading this amazing book to be grateful and give thanks in all circumstances not just in pleasant circumstances. This spirit of gratitude has played a major role in my spiritual awakening and in my spiritual experiences because I challenge myself, even when I don't feel like it, to be grateful. As I continue to practice these spiritual principles in all my affairs, a God of my own understanding emerges, one that is unique to me, one with whom I have inside jokes, shorthand, and an understanding with. One where sometimes I don't have to say a word, but just take a deep breath and feel a connection with. A higher power that is acutely aware of me, of my needs, and of my desires. One that was there all along, but that I had to pay the price to know, to understand, and to have my own personal experiences with. And this higher power has helped me develop a trust in myself and helped me to stay sober every single day. Because the only way you get to four years of sobriety, people, is by doing it one day at a time. And every single day that I ask my higher power to keep me sober, he does. Every single day. 
These are just a few of the many, many spiritual experiences that I have had in recovery. The thing about spiritual experiences is that they can't be manufactured. I can't manufacture a spiritual awakening in your life or in the life of the women I work with or in the life of the people that I sponsor. I can give you opportunities. I can give you situations that might promote a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, but I can't manufacture that in your life. My sponsor, my therapist, my spiritual leaders, my parents, anyone, they couldn't do it for me. They couldn't do it in my life. I had to pay that price. It's a personal price. I had to figure it out all on my own. And so do you. Each of us have to figure out our own spiritual awakening, our own higher power of our own understanding. Early on in recovery, I found this list. I don't know where I found it. So a shout out to whoever wrote it. It is a list of 14 symptoms of a spiritual awakening. I love that they call them symptoms, but 14 symptoms of a spiritual awakening. I'll put this list in the show notes on the website, worthrecovery.com. I really, really like this list though. 14 symptoms that you are having a spiritual awakening. One, you have the sense that something is different. Two, you feel yourself drifting away from some relationships. Three, you become aware of those things which no longer serve you. Four, you feel great compassion for the suffering of this life. Five, you feel an urge to do something different. Six, you become more sensitive. Seven, you begin to search for the answer to the question, who am I? Eight, you begin to regularly experience synchronicity. Nine, you experience a loss of identity. Ten, your sleep patterns change. 11, you lose interest in lesser emotions and thoughts. 12, you feel a sense of oneness. 13, you begin to experience better overall health. And 14, you experience tingling at the top of your head. I could spend a whole episode just talking about those 14 points, and I think I probably will come back and visit them and talk about how these 14 points and how they have worked in my own life. However, notice none of these say you go to church regularly, you read your scriptures regularly, though both of those things are part of my own personal spiritual practice. I now understand that those things are not an indicator of my spiritual experience or my spiritual awakening. I can go to church and not be spiritual, just like I can go to meetings and not be recovering. There is a price to be paid to conquer addiction, and that price is a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, however that looks for you. On today, my four-year sobriety anniversary, let me also share this. The price is worth it. So worth it. I wouldn't trade it anything for the spiritual connection I have with my higher power, with my God, with my heavenly father. I wouldn't trade anything for that. And if it took an addiction to drive me to enough humility to find it, then so be it. I can be grateful for my addiction, for the spiritual experiences it has brought into my life as I sought out recovery, for the spiritual awakening it continues to bring into my life. Though the experiences I shared today were from my early recovery years, I continue to have spiritual experiences all of the time. They are there for the taking anytime I seek them. Some of those experiences this year have come in the form of these podcast episodes I put together each week. 
They have come in the emails I receive from you, my listeners, as you share with me how these episodes have helped you. They have come in the form of quiet moments in nature or with music. They come in the form of answered prayers, a good night's sleep, a call from a friend at the right moment. As I continue to work in recovery, in dealing with other issues, with other trauma, with other stuff that I'm still working on because I still have a long way to go, I will continue to seek out spiritual experiences with my higher power. And I know that they will come. And that, my friends, is how you put together four years of sobriety. One spiritual experience at a time, one day at a time. As always, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, whether you feel connected or disconnected, whether you're still searching for a higher power and spiritual awakening, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.